Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we discuss a different topical safeguarding issue with a range of different guest speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. Hello everyone, welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. My name's Georgia, I'm the content manager here at the Safeguarding Company. I'm really excited to be joined by Brian Davies from UK Sepsis Trust. Hey Brian. Hi Georgia, how are you? I'm really good. I'm really glad to have you on with me. Do you mind um, introducing yourself and explaining what you do at um, the organisation? Yeah. So, um, yeah, Brian Davis, fundraising manager. I've uh, been with the UK Sepsis Trust for just over a year now. Uh, before that, I was actually uh, a teacher. So I worked as a, a deputy director of sport and a development director at a state grammar school in Sutton Coalfield called Bishop Vesey's Grammar School. Um, PE teacher by trade, have taught some uh, PSHE lessons, a little bit of geography, English actually for one year when uh, there was a bit of a shortage on uh, English teachers and um, yeah, you know, education is still very important to me and is part of what I'm doing now uh, with the UK Sepsis Trust. As the fundraising manager at the UK Sepsis Trust, I look after all of our income generation. So that's community fundraising with our supporters, corporate fundraising with businesses uh, and everything else um, that we're doing to raise income for the charity. Uh, one of those strands in terms of income and awareness uh, is with schools and we launched a, a, a program called uh, Resources for Schools, which is part of our Sepsis Savvy Awareness campaign last November. And, uh, you know, it'd be good to uh, talk about that further uh, as we go on. Let's definitely talk about those resources a little bit later on. But for now, Brian, can you just talk me through what sepsis is in case people don't know? Yeah, so sepsis is the body's overreaction to an infection. Uh, it can be caused by any infection. Um, it could be a cut to the arm. It could be something like a urinary tract infection. Um, and basically, if the infection isn't treated um, with antibiotics, it can develop and become very, very serious and can become life-threatening very quickly. Um, there's a number of symptoms um, that are critical to sort of look out for um in adults they spell sepsis so uh first one is slurred speech or confusion the second one is extreme shivering or muscle pain the third is uh passing no urine in a day it's not going to the toilet uh fourth is severe breathlessness fifth is it feels like you're going to die uh, and obviously that's the, the most worrying one and, and perhaps the one that sets it apart from everything else is a lot of those other aspects um, can be something else but it just feels different having sepsis it just there's just something that feels very strange and very serious and that's what a lot of people who have sepsis uh, communicate afterwards and then the final one is skin that's mottled or discoloured um, so there are the six signs in adults um, and then within children um, 
it's you should be concerned and seek medical attention if a child has any of the six following symptoms. So is breathing very fast, they've had a fit or a convulsion, looks mottled, bluish or pale, has a rash that does not fade when you press it, is very lethargic or difficult to wake, and if they feel abnormally cold to touch. And if any of these signs um, you know, if a loved one, a student, uh, a fellow staff member is experiencing any of these signs, call 999 or go straight to a A&A and ask the healthcare professional, could it be sepsis? Um, our CEO, uh, Dr. Ron Daniels, who's still a acting um, intensive care specialist uh, at a local hospital in the West Midlands, says that, you know, he'd rather get a hundred people presenting who haven't got sepsis and think they might have than miss the one that does have it and, you know, hasn't turned up at the hospital. So in the under fives, it's a little bit more difficult to, to spot, obviously, because of the communication um, issues at that age. So it's probably, it's worth getting checked out if, uh, they're not feeding, uh, if they're vomiting repeatedly and if they haven't passed any urine in 12 hours. And like you said before, one of them out of context could just seem like a common cold or a flu. So it's important for people to know all of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about this from personal experience. So um, eight and a half years ago now, uh, my daughter, Aoife, had sepsis when she was nine weeks old. Um, we thought she had a bit of a cold or a, a flu, and she's our second child, so we're a little bit more relaxed than we probably were as first-time parents. Gave her some cowpaw, you know, thought she could sleep it off and, and she'd be fine, and, and she'd just deteriorated over a weekend. Um, we then took her to the doctors. The doctor said, go and get checked out at the hospital. I'm sure she's fine, but just go and make sure. Anyway, when uh, my wife arrived at the hospital with Aoife, um, that she was told to sort of ring me and get me there as quick as possible. And within 10 to 15 minutes of arriving, she had been put into an induced coma to fight something called sepsis. Now, we didn't know what sepsis was. Um, it was all very scary and all very quick, um, you know, and something that is very difficult as a parent to deal with. But uh, we were unbelievably lucky that at our local hospital uh, happens to work the UK's leading expert on sepsis, uh, Dr. Ron Daniels, who I mentioned earlier. And he actually treated Aoife for sepsis and uh, his quick thinking and that short window from arriving to being, you know, treated and um, led her to make a full recovery um, over a course of three or four days. So, um, you know, and, and in hindsight, um, she definitely had some of those um, symptoms Um and, you know, as parents who have experienced it, we've definitely questioned a few times since, could it be sepsis? And after the sort of initial panic, um, you know, it, obviously it, it hasn't been, but it's it's better to ask and it, and it to not be sepsis than 
and not ask and not consider it and and uh, it'd be too late so no definitely i'm first of all i'm really thankful like you said that there were doctors on hand who were able to treat your daughter so quickly and that it wasn't more serious than that but how terrifying for you as a parent to have to go through something like that and i think that's why the work you guys are doing at uk sepsis trust is so important in raising awareness so hopefully other parents and caregivers won't be in that same position that you unfortunately found yourself in yeah you know and that's why that's why we're here talking to um the safeguarding company today about sepsis that's why we've developed um some resources for schools for every key stage it's why we do lots of awareness work in in hospitals in in businesses in universities it's it's just you know awareness saves lives and awareness can actually save probably 14 to 15,000 lives a year yeah so um, a few statistics, probably a good point to sort of develop onto next. Uh, Definitely. There are approximately 245,000 cases of sepsis every year, um, which is obviously a lot. Um, and at the moment in the UK, that results in around 48,000 deaths, which is more than breast cancer, bowel cancer, prostate cancer, and road traffic accidents combined. Really? So, yeah. So you think oh, of all wow. the awareness work that goes into those uh, conditions and illnesses, and then sepsis is still something that isn't as understood as some of those aspects. You know, again, that's why we're trying to do more um, and, and raise awareness because. Um, yeah, we believe that fourteen to fifteen thousand of those lives could be saved every year. Um, so definitely, just from people knowing what's actually yeah. going on and being able to get help earlier. Yeah, it, it's spotting the signs. If it, if it's caught early enough, then it is antibiotics, and you know most people that, that catch it early uh, who don't have other underlying health conditions will make a full recovery. There's also something called post-sepsis syndrome, which is worth uh, knowing about, um, particularly for perhaps, uh, DSLs who uh, may come across students whose parents have had sepsis, might be struggling with sepsis. So post-sepsis syndrome is similar to long COVID in the fact that after um, a person has experienced sepsis or you know the illness uh, condition um, they suffer long lasting physical or psychological effects that um, mean they can't go back to work for it could be you know many years after Um, that could be anything such as PTSD or anxiety depression uh, from you know what they've encountered uh, in hospital if they've been in a coma obviously uh, a lot of time people have flashbacks um, and obviously psychologically that's very difficult to deal with uh, on the physical side of things it could be uh, that someone has to wear a colostomy bag for the rest of their life or that they have to have an amputation and you know within the charity we're talking to people on a daily basis who have uh, 
who suffer from post-sepsis syndrome, uh, you know, and it's a really difficult thing to, to diagnose. It's not comp- uh, recognised by uh, World Health Organisation and Public Health England. So it's something that we are trying to raise the profile of, lobbying in, in government to try and get that addressed. But, you know, it's, it, it affects around 80,000 people every year. So um, it isn't a small issue that only affects a few people. Uh, it affects a lot. And if I can give that some context, so meningitis, Georgia, how many people do you think get meningitis every year? Um, I've got no idea, but my best friend, her boyfriend actually died from meningitis in New Zealand a few years ago. So I do know it was... um. Yeah, it's an awful disease. And I was actually going to ask you, like, in relation to meningitis, what are the numbers like compared to sepsis? Because I'm not entirely sure. So uh, in in the UK, there are 240 cases of meningitis compared to 245,000 of sepsis. That's insane. There are 30 deaths a year to meningitis in the UK compared to 48,000 in sepsis. Yeah, and, and but, but then no one knows much about sepsis, yeah. do they? It's, it's yeah. crazy when you think about it. Yeah. You know, and obviously the research, you can have a vaccination for, for meningitis, whereas, you know, vaccination wouldn't really work for sepsis because it's the initial uh, infection that leads to sepsis. Of course. So, you know, we are never going to get the figures down to where meningitis is at at the moment, but... It's, you know, most people would know how to do a, a meningitis check, you know, yeah. glance on the rash and sort of see if it, it disappears or not. Um, but it's just, you know, to, to give it some context of a, a similar condition that's better understood, uh, yet yeah, affects, you know, a fraction of the population when compared to sepsis. So, you know, we've got a lot more to go. Yeah, that's a really good comparison because I imagine... To most adults, if you say, have you heard of meningitis, a lot of them would have. But for sepsis, a lot of people wouldn't know about it. Um, you did mention before how, I think, post-sepsis is what you called it. is similar to syndrome. There we go. It's similar to long COVID. I want to talk about what COVID has done in relation to people who have sepsis or to the sepsis awareness, I guess. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's been a, a difficult few years in terms of um, healthcare and sort of healthcare professionals. I mean, our charity, um, our staffing numbers dropped, our income dropped over that time, and you know, the world's focus was on COVID. Uh, we actually offered to sort of support those affected by COVID as well as sepsis because there's a lot of similarities. Um, and, you know, the, the COVID infection will have led to lots of people having sepsis. The the final um, aspect that probably led to them leaving their life would have been sepsis. Um a, a septic infection. So the statistics are difficult to, you know, finalise with everything of that's going on. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, from an awareness perspective, we've probably taken a couple of steps back. 
uh, but was definitely on sort of the, the way, an upward trajectory again, um, now with the work that we're doing with businesses and schools in particular. So. Perfect. So at UK Sepsis Trust, what has been done to support people who have sepsis? So uh, we have four main objectives as a, an organisation. One is to raise awareness. Um, so it's um, you know, our campaigns with schools, it's our campaigns with businesses um, and you know, the general public. So raising awareness in the general public and through specific vehicles. Second one is to support those affected by sepsis. And we have two and a half support nurses a week. Uh, sorry. We have two and a half support nurses uh, working for us who answer phone calls and talk to those that have been affected by sepsis. That could either be the bereaved or those that have been affected directly and might be suffering from post-sepsis syndrome. That's a really important thing to note that we offer that service as a charity. It's all free of charge. And obviously, if there is anybody within any of the school communities that's listening to this who would benefit from having a conversation, understanding their condition a little bit better, and um, then, then we've got the people to do that. So, again, that's perhaps something we can include in the notes of the Isn't session. Um, of how, you know, the number that people can call and the email address to, to do that. And actually, um, I visited a school recently, um, in St. Coalfield where, uh, I was actually there for a careers event with year nine and a student approached me at break time and said, um, told me a story about how her mum had been really ill with sepsis. Um, she'd had it three years ago. She hadn't recovered and uh, she was really struggling with sort of everyday life. Um, the story's got a really good ending because, one, we were able to offer her, let her know about our support nurses and the conversations that she could have, not only with them, but we host um, online webinars and groups whereby they can um, talk to others who have been in a similar situation and we find that that's really helpful and, you know, sort of just be able to see a point in the future whereby they can feel something like they used to. So, it's important to connect with people who yeah. understand what you or your friends and family are going through and, like you said, um, give you a place to look forward to, to where it will get better. Um, and the second aspect of that visit um, to the school with that uh, student was that our local councillor was actually at the same careers event. He heard, you know, what had happened to the to the student's uh, mum and he actually facilitated for that student to ask a question to Birmingham City Council at the council house in a full council meeting a couple of weeks ago of um, sort of a plea to get signposting to organisations like us improved for those affected by sepsis in uh, hospitals in Birmingham. So, you know, that's the power of the conversations that we're having. That what That's what can be done if the right people are involved. And that starts with 
you know, raising awareness with with uh, safeguarding professionals today, then taking it back into their schools, then signing up their schools for our resources, which we'll get onto shortly, and then you know us as an organisation supporting those affected by sepsis with the care that they need in the future. So it's nice when it all sort of comes full circle and. Uh, achieves what you want it to achieve, even if it's on a small scale at the moment. The third thing that we do is that we educate healthcare professionals. So we've developed clinical tools for them to um, improve their knowledge and understanding of sepsis. And we've actually developed tools that are used in healthcare settings that they can use to distinguish whether someone may or may not have sepsis. So that's another valuable tool and and one of our focuses as a charity. And then the final thing is that we lobby um, government at, you know, local and national level for change. So one of our big focuses, as I mentioned earlier, is to try and get post-sepsis syndrome recognised and to get all hospitals and healthcare settings signposted anyone that's had sepsis to the UK Sepsis Trust so that we can support their recovery over time. Now, that would be difficult to do with the size of team we have at the moment. So there's about 17 of us and two and a half uh, support nurses, as I mentioned. But if the demand grows, I'm sure we can grow with that demand. So, um, yeah, that's a little about what we do as a charity. Yeah, well, I'm sure as well, once there's more awareness about it, people understand why it's so important that you guys have the resources and the funds and the volunteers to help you better educate and to better bring awareness and to better support people who are affected by this. That's the plan. It's sort of a self-evolving cycle, really, for, for yeah, we increase the awareness, that should lead to a better understanding, more funds coming in, and then that allows us to do more awareness. And, yeah, so that cycle keeps going, really, and um, until there's a lot less deaths of, from sepsis, so, and, and certainly for us to end all of the preventable deaths, as we've spoken about earlier. No, of course, I think that's a really important thing that everyone should be really focused on doing. So it sounds like the charity is doing really amazing work in that aspect. Yeah, thank you. Well, I say it's, um, we started um, and, you know, we're making good progress, but we, we obviously, I mean, I'm impatient uh, and there's a lot more to do. So I mentioned these school resources a few times um, throughout um, the, the, the conversation so far. We launched them at the Schools and Academy Show in Birmingham in November 2021. The resources have been um, supported by generous funding from the Iceland Foods Charitable Foundation, who have been partners of the uh, UK Sepsis Trust on our work in schools for uh, two or three years now. And we developed five lesson plans, one for each key stage. So that's a PowerPoint lesson uh, with a less accompanying lesson plan. The key stage four and key stage five resources have case studies of those that have been affected by sepsis, um, some who uh, survived, some who unfortunately didn't, but we made the decision that we felt that that was important to share 
the fact that, you know, unfortunately some people die of sepsis, uh, you know, and some young people do as well. So we're not trying to shock anyone, but we're trying to show that this is important and, you know, if you don't get checked out when you have it, the result could be obviously catastrophic. So since launch, uh, we're now in a position where 442 schools throughout the UK have, have registered for the resources, which is great. Uh, and that equates to um, 620,000 students that will now have access to these resources through their schools and colleges. Um, that is fantastic and is above where our targets were for this st- uh, time of the programme. However, there are 32,000 schools and colleges. In there. I was about to say, it's ideally great. you want everyone um, in the UK to have access to yeah. it. And 11.7 million students. So, you know, we're just over sort of, you know, one, one and a half percent in terms of numbers of schools and we're doing a bit better with total students. So we've got a long way to go until everyone, like you said, in the UK understands uh, more about sepsis. We'll also put links to the resources you mentioned in the show notes so people can access them and hopefully use them, learn from them. Yeah, I mean, we've tried to make um, the resources as as easy as possible. You don't need to be an expert in sepsis. You don't need to have a degree in uh, microbiology or <laughs> um, even you know be that scientific to, to teach them. Uh, they've got teacher notes within the um the, the the notes on the side so any everything you need to know is on there there's also some additional notes um and you know we are accessible um if people wanted training if people wanted a little bit of help to just sort of gain confidence uh been into a lot of schools recently talked to staff about how they can deliver it next year, but then also to do assemblies as well. And, you know, we've got volunteers all over the country that will come and talk about their personal stories of sepsis and and why it's important that they raise awareness. Uh, We've also got the symptom cards that I mentioned with the signs and symptoms of sepsis on, and that's something that, you know, we're happy to send out to schools um, so that students can take them home to parents and um, it can sit on their fridge at home and be there just in case they're ill and they are wondering um, if it's sepsis, if it isn't, and if it's Mm. worth them getting checked out. So, you know, we're happy to be really supportive in terms of those resources and our time and you know um there there won't be you know too many costs involved with that if if schools need extra support so certainly not from a visit perspective but obviously the yeah. resources cost cost us a, a little bit of money as a charity and where we prefer is to offset that where you know if we're sending a school a few hundred pounds of resources they could put a non-uniform day on for us or um you know run a fundraiser we could support that and that would you know cover our costs and as we've said earlier help us to raise more awareness um, in other areas in the future and if there are people who are listening who want to get involved, um, what are some ways they can help the work that UK Septus Trust is doing? Yeah. 
So, I mean, first and foremost, we always love to hear from those affected by sepsis and, you know, support them if they, if they need any further support. So, um, so that'd be one, one reason sort of anyone that's been affected that perhaps is, is passionate about raising awareness, wanted to become a volunteer, could email volunteer at sepsistrust.org. Our school's email is, uh, just schools at sepsistrust.org. Um, you know, and I monitor that inbox. So any, any requests or any information, um, from anyone would come directly to me. So, um, and then if someone is looking to fundraise, they can either use the school's, uh, inbox or fundraising at sepsistrust.org. Uh, our website is sepsistrust.org <laughs> as well, where you can find more information. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really about having a conversation. Um, the charity is actually 10 years old, um, this year. So we celebrated our 10th birthday in March. And oh, amazing. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, we, we have a campaign sort of running in the background called the Power of 10. I think that sums up how people can help us really, because the Power of 10 is all about if one person does their bit and tells 10 people, then the awareness and the impact that we can have multiplies exponentially. So, you know, it's about the DSLs, the, the safeguarding leads that are listening to this, taking it back and educating their staff, using the resources who will then educate the pupils and the pupils will then go home and discuss it with their parents and their other you know, members of their family. And I think, you know, schools are a fantastic vehicle to do that. Um, and, you know, what another reason of why we have a big focus on raising awareness with young people through schools is that in the future, those people will obviously become young adults and then they will already have a better understanding of sepsis than probably you know, young adults do at the moment. So if, you know, it's not just about today, it's about the future. How sepsis can be better understood in the future by the work that we do today. So I think that sort of, you know, exemplifies what we're looking to uh, achieve with our Power of 10 campaign. No, that sounds like a fantastic campaign. Like you said, it's important for people to be educated now so then they can pass it on to loved ones, to family, and then, like you said, onto their own children when they get older as well. Um, I've just got one final question for you, and it's got to do with pa- for parents, basically, because I think one thing that's also happened with COVID is people are hesitant to have to go to the hospital in case it's something that's not serious, and they take away from time for other people who might have more serious illnesses. So the list of symptoms you've described is fantastic, but as a parent who's experienced this themselves, what is the thing you would say to other parents who are just really on the fence about, I don't know how serious this actually is and if I should take my child into the hospital? I think it's just, you know, if your child is acting differently to how they normally act. Um, you are the best placed person to advocate for your husband, your wife, your child, your your, your parents, you know them better than any doctor will ever know them. So 
if they are acting differently, if they are delirious, if they are, you know, just so lethargic and so unlike how they normally are, then something's wrong. And it might, they might not be able to communicate that I within sepsis of I feel like I'm going to die, but there's just something that's different about a septic infection as opposed to, you know, anything else, a normal sort of cold, flu, uh, upset stomach, etc. And if there's even the slightest bit of doubt, you know, 99.9% of healthcare professionals would rather alleviate your fears and tell you, you know, it's not sepsis than you be the one that, you know, has a a far less positive outcome. So um course, yeah. I, I would just say, you know, um it, it, if I was in that situation again, we wouldn't have left it as long as we did. We yeah. were very fortunate that they say we went to the hospital where the UK's leading expert on sepsis was there. He happened to be at work that day. If he hadn't have been working that day, if we'd have gone to a different hospital, we may well have had a different outcome, and this may well have been a less uh, uplifting conversation. So definitely, yeah. We want to. We want parents and families and teachers to to you know understand the sepsis and to get the treatment that they need if there's a time that they're. Um, experiencing any of those symptoms so you know not every illness is sepsis and I'm sure yeah. there will be a little bit of sort of um, t- more consideration to everyday things but th- I think the one that really st- it, it's just different to anything else so you know if I if I anyone says yeah, I feel like I'm going to die that's a really good trigger to to get um, help but yeah, that advocating is really important because mm-hmm. you know, if you live in a rural community, if you you know, and there's perhaps not a not as many uh, staff at the local hospital, or your local hospital might be a cottage one. It might not have all of the facilities that it needs. You know, you could be an hour and a half, two hours away from the the nearest big hospital. Then that increases your risk of of you know having a, a having deaths from sepsis so of um I, I just think if, if you have any inclination that a loved one may be suffering from sepsis get checked out because the worst that's happened there is you've you know but not even wasted a couple of hours of someone's time because you won't yeah. have wasted it because you know that's that's what the, the health service is there to do there you wouldn't yeah. be going there with just if there wasn't a, a real consideration that someone is really, really ill. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's always better to, to know that they're fine than, you know, worry. So. Of course, I think it's always better to overreact than to not react at all. And yeah. like you said, you don't, we don't want that to happen. We want to try to be as preventative as possible from this taking lives and affecting people. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us today, not only for explaining what UK Sepsis Trust does, but also for sharing with us your own personal experience. I know I found it 
very moving and I also found it I, th- I think what you're doing is very amazing to spread this kind of awareness um, and like I said we'll put all the information you shared with us into the show notes for people who want to download resources get in touch with you volunteer and yeah thank you so much for joining us brilliant thank you Georgia thank you for the opportunity and if anyone wants to get in touch obviously I've given the emails out uh, today but fundraising at sepsistrust.org or schools at sepsistrust.org and uh, me or one of my team will get back to you and uh, give you the support that you need so thank you thank you for listening to the safeguarding podcast for resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions please visit thesafeguardingcompany.com.